FourFingerLakes1.com. I'm Josh Durso, and you're listening to a Sunday Conversation. This week, we are joined by Ryan Wallace. He's the CEO of the Solar Home Factory in Geneva, which is building the homes we're seeing pop up along 5 and 20 at the Lake Tunnel Solar Village. This past week, we learned that 19 of the 20 units at the Elizabeth Blackwell Street site are sold. Ryan has been in studio before, and this time around, we're going to get an update on progress. We're also going to discuss skepticism about the project and projects like Lake Tunnel. All of that coming up after a quick message from today's show sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Herman Brothers Furniture Store. Tired of the big box approach to furniture shopping? Stomp in to Herman Brothers Store located in downtown Lyons and see how they've been doing it since 1945. Herman Brothers carries one of the largest selections of furniture, appliances, and mattresses between Rochester and Syracuse. And even better, Herman Brothers services all of the furniture and appliances they sell. It's the honesty, integrity, and reliability that they've been delivering for 74 years. Stop in, shop online, or give Herman Brothers a call to learn more about their low prices, free layaway, interest-free financing, and no credit needed financing. They even offer same-day or next-day delivery in most cases. Visit HermanBrothersLions.com or call 315-946-4831 today. Ryan, thanks for being here. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me. This is, what you guys are doing up in Geneva is really, really impressive. And now, great news this week, uh, really positive headline for you guys in the Finger Lakes Times. Um, Let's start with with somebody who's been living under a rock for the last uh, two years, sort of. Uh, give us the 101 on how we got to this point. So in, um, gosh, I have to think back what the original date was. I think about um, 2016, uh, we had started looking at um, expanding what we offered. We were a solar installer mm-hmm. and uh, putting solar on roofs. And the problem is that we were going to a lot of homes um, in the Finger Lakes that um solar wouldn't fix the the issue the issue was it was poor insulation you know i've been in homes where i could literally see outside from inside the home uh you know and the and the cold winter air just blowing in mm-hmm. and um and we said that if we want to really make an impact in people's lives who want to get off of their dependency on the grid, um, we have to look at building the whole home. So we started um, a company called Small Grid, and we were focused just on heating systems and solar. And the problem was that um, we couldn't find a housing company that could build a tight enough, energy efficient enough home to do what we wanted to do. And what we wanted to do was produce a home that had no heating or electric bill. So uh, we uh, spent a lot of time researching and finally decided to build the homes ourselves. So in um, uh, 2000, 
17, we were awarded the downtown revitalization grant for a piece of land, three acres um, off of 5 and 20 in Geneva, and uh, to build a prototype housing development. And that grant has largely gone to pay for city utilities. So we've expanded the sewer, the water, um, and then put a lot of money into storm water. And these things are not very sexy, but what it is is it gives you a, a literally the, the, the building site to, to showcase our product. Now what's happened is we've had to adapt to the market um, and the weird conditions of that site to, to make it all work. So we had originally started with um, 30 townhomes and that got downsized to 20 townhomes because of some restrictions on the site, mainly a big gas line that runs um, about 20 foot underneath the ground through it. And so um, we're now building 20 townhomes uh, down there. In uh, June of uh, 2018, so just over a year ago, we started, uh, we broke ground on our factory over in Forge Avenue, and that's a pilot factory. So it's only about 5,000 square feet. We're building uh, two homes at a time in it. And that uh, has been a really exciting, a lot of stress, um, a lot of debt, <laughs> a lot of personal debt. Um, you know, I think people, uh, generalize the project as being kind of like a state project or something and and I'm always quick and perhaps a little defensively say no 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 you know there's state money that went into creating the lots so that we had a place to uh, to put these homes and uh, everything else has been privately financed um, mainly by um, my wife and myself and uh, and it's starting to to um, you know, gain some traction. So every time we set a home down there, we probably get 10 or 15 more inquiries. And to the point now where we only have one left to sell down there. Um, if I had more money, I would just keep it myself because I feel like uh, those homes are going to, um, well, they've already appreciated in value. Um, homes that we originally sold down there for 167000 um we are now actually selling for for two hundred thousand, and uh, and our goal is not to just build expensive stuff. We we want to build a, a whole range of of sizes and uh, prices. Um, but what we had to figure out is is what the market wanted, and our market is real specific. It's mainly uh, downsizing retirees and first time home buyers, almost exclusively. Um, so now we're looking at designs that could could accommodate um, a family and uh, they probably won't happen that that those designs won't be for lake tunnel uh, for the solar village in Geneva um, but we're looking at some other developments that we'll be announcing in the next two months uh, so that's that's kind of brought us to today so we've gone from breaking ground to about 14 employees and um, and we're adding what the part that I'm really proud of is uh, we're, we're getting really good at building these homes and um, the crew, the pride that they take in building these homes um, is just phenomenal. They're, they've taken ownership of the design. They're suggesting changes all the time. They're saying, hey, if we did this, it could be that much more efficient. And, and that's really 
probably my favorite part of all of this is seeing um, our team really come together and get excited and embrace the project. It's a real uh, learning process clearly for you guys. Um, but at what point in, in the say last two years did, did you sort of realize that uh, A, there was a market for this and then B, that this was actually something attainable that you could really put a, set together a plan and, and make it happen? Uh, so we had a storefront in downtown Geneva um, for about a year and a half, maybe two years. And during that time, I would say we had probably over 500 people come in. Um, we, had, we had a few thousand come through the door, but about 500 people come in looking for homes. And the thing that the Finger Lakes is facing is you have a lot of people who grew up here um, or moved here a while ago, and they are now reaching kind of that retirement age and they live, you know, perhaps on a quarter acre, half acre, and a two-story house with a lot of maintenance. And all of a sudden, the prospect of um, mowing half an acre, getting on the ladder, repainting trim, cleaning gutters, all of this is sounding less and less appealing. And what is my concern for the region is that um, those folks are moving to Florida. And you have an incredible talent pool. Some of these people are, you know, retired professionals, um, nurses, doctors. Um, and what I see very exciting is that uh, we're getting them to stay. And, and, and that's about 25% of our buyers. The other 75% are people discovering the Finger Lakes. And every time there's a new headline about you know, the Finger Lakes being ranked as, you know, no, number one uh, wine destination year after year, new restaurants, um, you know, winery awards. It's garnering more attention to the area to where, uh, you know, yeah, about 75% of our buyers are, are coming here from, uh, from elsewhere. So. Is this, the, so the last time you were here, right after we, we finished up recording, we wound up having this really interesting conversation, or, or what I thought was a really interesting conversation, sort of about um, younger people, younger families, not really being interested in those sprawling cookie cutter houses that uh, fill the cul-de-sacs and, yep. and sort of make up a lot of what uh, housing has looked like over the last 20 to 30 years. Yep. Um, is this sort of the, the future of what housing will become? More compact, more efficient, more uh, sustainable, sort of in the self-sufficient way? It is absolutely the future of housing. I'm not saying our particular design. You know, one of the things that uh, if we've gotten any primary source of criticism, it's that our homes are um, low and long and boxy. Um, I hear that a lot. Oh, they're shipping containers. They're shipping containers. That is exact, um, yes. And, uh, and I get it. It's, you know, we're not, uh, I'm not trying to tell people what, uh, what they should like, what they shouldn't. Um, I do get a chip on my shoulder when people talk about the quality because most anyone, actually anyone who uh, disparages the quality of these homes has not been inside one. Um, the level of craftsmanship and attention by our crew is amazing and um, and that's really something that uh, um, I wish people more people could see is the dedication of this crew to building a really high quality home 
The problem with traditional subdivisions, um, traditional lots, you know, the average, you know, American home is still about 2,600 square feet on a quarter of an acre, is that uh, construction materials aren't any cheaper. They're significantly more expensive than they were 15 years ago. And so you are now going to pay for a brand new kind of, you know, cookie cutter 2,600 square foot home, you're going to pay $350,000. And, and it's not going to be good quality. It's not. I mean, it's, you know, I look at these, these uh, material costs every day. And uh, even if you're a huge builder and you're buying stuff for way cheaper than I'm built for, certain financial dynamics are just the way they are. And, um, and furthermore, in this age of Facebook and social media and Instagram, um, I think that people are, are more interested in having, spending two hours experiencing something um, exciting, new, picturesque than spending two hours on a lawnmower. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife loves mowing our solar farm. I think it's kind of, you know, relaxing for her. Um, but it, it, it eats up, you know, eight-hour blocks. And, uh, and I can't imagine having to do that every week, you know, on a half acre. Um, and so anyways, the, the, I'm digressing, but the data says that uh, um, millennials are looking for um, smaller, more efficient housing. And retirees are looking for one-story, low-maintenance or no-maintenance housing. I mean, that's just that's just the market data. What I think is fascinating is that we're actually going back to the past. I mean, if you look at uh, the 1950s, that was kind of the heyday, uh, 40s and 50s, um, of of housing being smaller, more compact, more efficient. Um, you know, Sears sold a kit home. Uh, in the 40s that you could buy and, and there's thousands if not millions of them across the nation and the average size was 950 square feet and for a family of four and you know that worked and I think what's changed is uh, for a while there it was re- reasonably cheap to build that people thought they they needed to have a spare bedroom and an office and a playroom and a basement and um, and now when we ask people what they want, they say, oh, give me a little space for an office and then make sure you give me a place to put all my stuff. And I don't have any trouble talking people into living in 850 square feet as long as we have a place somewhere to put their stuff. And, and so we, at a certain point, you know, just respond to that and, and, and provide that. How much of the, you mentioned the, the design acid, sort of some of the pushback against the design of, of the lake yep. tunnel um, townhouses. How much of that is just the natural progression of housing? Because I can recall when I was younger listening to my parents' generation and their friends saying that those cookie cutter houses that we see plenty of now, they're ugly, they're boring, they're this, that, the other yep. thing. It kind of to me sounds like the same gripe, just sort of placed in a, it's just sort of the natural progression. I, I think anything new gets pushed back. Um, you know, I, I, it used to bother me a lot more and I'd get into these, you know, Facebook arguments and, and I realized there's just nothing to be gained there because, uh, 
uh, I don't need to change anybody's mind. We have enough people coming in who see the value of not having a heating bill, not having an electric bill. And a lot of those people are, um, you know, either loving the design or so-so about the design, but realize that the design is what gets you no heating bill, no electric bill. And so there's a necessity there. You know, I don't build with a pitch roof, not because I hate pitch roofs, but because I can't build a pitch roof and transport it on the same module. So, and it cuts the amount of roof surface that I have um, that's, that's solar ready. <clears throat> so our homes are kind of this brutally Darwinian process of making something that is the most efficient to build to be net zero. And um, that's not to say that we can't improve upon it. Um, as I speak right now, uh, one of the partners in the company, Mark Rodriguez, is uh, on AutoCAD uh, drawing the next version of these, which um, has a, a look that addresses a, some of those concerns. And, and so it's not that we're above improving our product, but at the end of the day, all I care about is building the most cost-effective home that has no heating bill no electric bill and and is and is efficient um, and I think what you'll see is in 20 years if someone tries to build a home that doesn't have solar panels and doesn't have a heat pump that's going to be the home that that the, the next generation looks at and says what is that piece of trash I mean why would you build that why would you build a house that needs uh, a ton of money to heat I mean, that's just irresponsible. And, uh, and so I think you're absolutely right. In 20 years, um, they may not look exactly like our homes, but you're going to see every new home with solar on the roof and every new home with a heat pump, not because it's mandated or regulated, but because the market's just telling you, um, hey, you, know, you shouldn't have to have a, a huge monthly heating bill every winter. And of course, a lot of this conversation tends to boil down to the dollars and cents and the yep. money that can't be saved. Um, some of some of those skeptics out there say that for what you're getting, the the price of the homes are just too high. Um, if you really break that down or you really get into the minutia, though, it it seems pretty clear that it isn't. But how do you defend um, the, the the sort of process that you guys are going through and and the 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 number, the price? So we're. Uh, selling right now a 650 square foot home for 167,000. Um, I want to get that down to about 125,000 over time, um, just by getting more efficient at it and um, purchasing power economies of scale. Uh, at 125,000, that is cheaper than almost any new home you can buy anywhere else period at 167,000 it's still on the cheaper end compared to um, other new homes if you go <clears throat> to a cookie cutter development um, you know in Victor Farmington outskirts of Auburn 
um, you're going to see most stuff start in the 200,000s. Now, what someone will say is, well, yeah, but I get a two-car garage then, I get a basement, I get a playroom for 250000 um, So you've got your mortgage there at, at you know, 1300 bucks a month, uh, but then you've still got this heating bill in the winter of 300 bucks a month, um, electric bill of 100 bucks a month. So now you're really up to 1900 in the winter. And as you alluded to, at the end of the day, um, I'm asking people to sacrifice some space, but actually for higher quality. And, and for the cost of it, I, I make no apologies. We're not sitting here making a ton of money. You're paying for, you're getting what you pay for. And if uh, you're buying something for, you know, 150 bucks a square foot, you're getting a crappy home. I mean, you you may getting the vinyl siding that you like and looks good. You might be getting the um, you know um, the carpeting that you like, and and on the surface it might look fine. It won't last. You're gonna be tearing out that carpet in ten years. You're gonna be replacing that vinyl siding in fifteen years if you're lucky. You're gonna be replacing that roof in twenty years. And the home's gonna cost you another fifty to seventy-five thousand dollars over the next fifteen years. So really, you're just you're just paying more over time, and um, and so you know it'll just take a little time for for the market to kind of catch up to what we're doing. Um, and uh, in the meantime. You know the people who are jumping on who see the value of that uh, they're ecstatic I mean you know the the biggest argument we ever get with with a homeowner is um, uh, who's buying our product is uh, you know is there any way you can um, um, you know actually pull back a little bit of the quality and and, and give me you know a, a little bit extra space and and I say no. I say you know that's. I'm not going to pull back the quality of our materials. I'm not going to pull back the quality and the time we put into them. And um, and and inevitably, I mean, we've never lost a customer yet. It's always like, oh nope, we get that, we get that. Okay. Um, and fundamentally, when we have people walk in and say, yeah, could you build me something with this quality for 2,500 square feet? I just say, sorry, I, I can't do that. When you see sort of the, the real, obviously real estate's an investment no matter what. When you're buying a home, that's an investment. Um, when you see some of the headlines that we've seen recently out of like the suburbs of Rochester where people are putting in offers 20 to 30% over the value of the home, foregoing uh, home inspections, just basically okay. doing whatever they have to to buy whatever home happens to pop up on the market, is that sort of like the ultimate case for you know a, a community like Lake Tunnel given that it's so compacted, given that it is a good investment in the long term, and uh, it's that high quality that you're probably missing out on if you are buying a sort of traditional home. The only thing keeping the suburbs from turning into um, wastelands of of dilapidated, empty homes is the fact that there's just not enough homes right now. Otherwise, uh, the two biggest market segments millennials and and retiring baby boomers are all telling us almost to a person I want to be able to live where there are things to do and that thing can't just be mowing <laughs> you think I'd hate lawnmowers <laughs> a, a good buddy of mine uh, is uh, <clears throat> uh, is is uh, 
senior management at LandPro, and and uh, he probably going to be cursing me for for disparaging lawnmowers. But uh, um, if you need a lawnmower, get it from LandPro. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, but it's it's uh, it really is. It, people are telling us that they want to live um, where there are things to do, and the problem with the suburbs is that you have to drive everywhere to do something. If you want to go out and have a drink, only want to use drinking, you know, if you're responsible. Uh, if you want to just, you know, get out of your house and, and, and go for a walk. I mean, uh, a lot of these developments don't even have sidewalks. You're walking in the road. Um, it doesn't really make for, you know, a comfortable place to live if you want to do things. And so all the market data says that the areas right around the urban areas. Maybe not right in the middle of downtown core, but lots like ours. They're just on the peripheries of the, of the downtown where you can still walk to things. It's, it's the fastest growing market segment right now. And um, like I said, if, if housing was abundant in those areas, I don't think you'd see hardly anyone living in the suburbs because unless you have some really special need for that 2,500 square feet, you are making a conscious choice to live a more secluded uh, life, you know, just for that extra square footage. Is that the big adjustment? Uh, aside from obviously people becoming more comfortable with uh, the prospect of living in a smaller home, that housing sort of tighten up in terms yeah. of how it's placed in, in, you know, geographically within individual communities. It's, it's one of the things that, um, we spent the most time on is figuring out the flow within the development. One of the weird things about, you know, when you do urban infill, so we have a lot of people who drive up and the first thing they see from the car entrance is the back of the home. And I think one of the biggest pushbacks we've gotten on the view or on the look of these has come from people driving in and seeing the back of the home. So the obvious question is, Ryan, why would you build a development where the first thing when you drive in is you see the back of the home? And that's because once people are actually living there, the amount of times they're going to be driving in that entrance is relatively low. That's the back entrance. The front entrance is the pedestrian walkway that goes underneath 5 and 20 into this beautiful, beautiful space um, along Seneca Lake. And so um, now it doesn't help that we've had that pathway closed as we pour concrete. Um, it, uh, it doesn't work to, to, to do both at the same time. Um, but once you have people who actually walk into there, uh, the people who, uh, like we opened up the pathway for uh, Musclemen, mm -hmm. and we had families and kids in strollers and strollers and just people walking through, and the response was night and day compared to the people who drive in. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, having that more compact uh, pedestrian-centric environment, uh, I cannot wait to have that all opened up because uh, the experience when you're on foot is phenomenal. You, you, you're seeing people, you're seeing the lake, you're walking into downtown, and then, oh, I forgot something in the house, so I'm gonna walk right back, or I'm gonna have some people come over, we're gonna go drink down on Linden Street, and just walk right back home afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, it's an amazing experience.
So uh, earlier this week, you called into WXXI's connections uh, with Evan Dawson. You, you, uh, the show was was sort of diving into a proposed rate hike. There's going to be a public hearing in early August proposed yep. for NYSEG and RG&E uh, users. You mentioned sort of just now the, the move away from uh, vehicles. We talked a little bit before we came on. Um, about how a lot of the, the proposals coming from RG&E and ISEG seem to be focused in the electric vehicle territory yeah. and, and less in sort of like what you guys are doing where it's very much about um, re removing dependency of any kind on energy and it's sort of pulling away from the grid. Um, walk us through what your, your thoughts have been on sort of that proposal and then also the, the focus that they seem to have on the electric vehicle side of this. So I think the um, the thing that is really uh, important to know about all this is that we are on our way to a hundred percent electric infrastructure. And if you think I'm wrong on that, uh, you're. I mean, that's fine. Um, you should read what the statements are coming from the CEO of General Motors, Ford, Volkswagen, Toyota. Um, they don't see internal combustion engines as part of their future. And so um, I think that RG&E and NYSEG spent a lot of time being concerned about electrical charging infrastructure because they've done the math and the current grid cannot support all these cars moving to electric. The problem is that if you look at these problems one at a time and you say, okay, we're going to improve electrical vehicle infrastructure, well, now you need, to, you need to improve your main transmission lines, your distribution lines. And I can tell you that that infrastructure, having witnessed it firsthand, is pathetic, dilapidated, and based on solid, you know, 1920s technology. Um, I say solid, being facetious. Um, it's incredibly unsolid. It's incredibly unstable. And uh, it's remarkable that it is as reliable as it is based on how old and crumbling it is. And so my concern in all the rate hike discussions is that um, are we really planning for that future? Are we just kind of doing these little PR band-aids and say, oh yeah, we're going to put 30 million in the vehicle infrastructure here and there and not saying, hey, are we preparing really for the future of electrical infrastructure? And are we going to do that in a way that it doesn't um, come on the backs of, of the average ratepayer? I mean, you know, Iberdrola is a multi-billion dollar multinational corporation that owns NYSIG and RG&E. They um, are only focused on renewable projects that generate income for them. Um, I can tell you at the Solar Village, uh, one of the biggest mistakes I ever made in the development of that was telling NYSEG that it was going to be a solar village. And all of a sudden that created this big logistical nightmare that took two years to figure out. And what I should have done is said, yep, I'm just doing another subdivision. And, and then later told them, oh, by the way, I'm adding solar. Because they didn't have a process in place 
at, at a high level to say, here's how we're going to deal with all these homes having solar, and here's how we're going to encourage that battery systems. And I'll get into it in just a second why that's important, but it, it from the top down, there's no plan in place that I can tell. If there is, it's not working its way down to the people that we work with every day. People we work with every day are working with one hand tied behind their back. They, they want to see the grid be improved. They want to see more developments. They want to see everything be more stable. Um, they're completely hamstrung by this huge multinational corporation that, in my opinion, could care less about this region and our homes. It's, it's purely what is the state going to require us to do and how is that going to impact our profits and what can we get away with that still follows state law and maximizes profits. And I can tell you right now that means not investing in infrastructure. And it's interesting that you say that. So I, I get into it a little bit if you can, what that challenge looked like on the day to day and when you're going through that process, yeah. trying to, to work with NYSEG on what you guys were doing up there with Lake Tunnel. So um, we submitted in September 2017 a request to have electrical service at the Solar Village. Um, it turned into a big discussion of a, of a bunch of really well-meaning people saying, okay, how are we going to do this? And it took about a day for them to realize they had no specific process in place for a development that says it's, it's, every home's going to have solar. Um, and, the, uh, and yet, we had learned um, from these same people that in our particular area, we had the capacity in the line to do that. And this kind of gets a little bit into, the, into the, how the sausage is made. Um, but the, the problem is that rather than being something that uh, um, was supported and, and helped along, the fact that we had solar and we wanted to do batteries uh, became this big flashing red, red light for NYSEG. And it, the whole process just took long, uh, it, it just took longer. So like I said, it took, it took, um, uh, a year and a half just to get a final plan in place. And it took you two years to actually get the actual line run down to the village. Um, and unfortunately, we've heard that from multiple other developers who aren't even doing solar, is that that getting utilities is is proving to be almost impossible. And you think about how scary that is. Here we are trying to keep people living here, not moving to Florida. And and those people are telling us, give us new housing and we'll stay. I mean, I hear that all the time. And it's incredibly difficult to do so just because of the utilities. I look at sites all the time. And my number one question is, how much of a battle is it going to be to get electrical service in and to get um, water and sewer? Um, now, the municipalities want to work with you. You can actually, you know, sit down with the leadership of those municipalities and say, how do we build responsibly? How do we develop this in a way that works for you and work for our customers? It's very difficult to have that conversation um, with the multinational corporation. Um, 
so where this all heads to is, you know, the state wants us to be carbon neutral um, by a certain date. I don't remember quite when that is. It's it's they're being pretty aggressive. It's in the neighborhood of 2030, 2040. Yeah, I, I, I had thought 2030. And uh, the problem is that um, the the electrical grid won't support that. So um, let me just real quick say why it's important that we do all this um it doesn't you don't have to be an environmentalist to want to fix our electrical grid our electrical grid is incredibly susceptible to hacking to uh, natural disaster to all kinds of 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 um, natural man-made causes that would just cause your power to not be on one day and and imagine a prolonged outage you know, no refrigeration, no food at the at the at, at the grocery store. You know, there's studies out there that would say it would only take a week without power on a wide scale basis um, for our society to essentially start uh, um, coming apart. That's incredibly scary to me. You don't have to be a guy who who's uh, prepping his basement for that to scare you. Um, all of us just assume the lights are going to be on. And, and the problem is that here we are trying to build a development that, that actually helps the grid, that actually pushes energy back into the grid when it's needed. And, um, and the infrastructure isn't there to do that. Is, is, you know, the money hasn't been spent. And don't get me wrong, the money's being spent. It's, it's, being, you know, it's being gathered in profits, um, it's being spent elsewhere. Um, and and yet we're not putting money into our infrastructure that that's what scares me is is it something that you're optimistic about in terms of of seeing these these all the players involved that would have to get together and really come up with a good plan including the state um all being able to get together and and come up with something i think i'm not optimistic that um that they're that the state and the utility uh, is going to come together with a plan that somehow works for everybody i just it, it, what i see is i see uh, a lot of negotiation and at the end of the day um you know nysig and rg and e are going to make whatever concessions they need to make that that don't affect too much of their profits that make it look like things are moving forward um, and unfortunately, um, I don't think that's necessarily a good plan. Um, I personally would like to see um, the utility get broken up into smaller cooperatives um, and, and uh, companies that are more responsive to their community. If you live in a community that does not want electric car charging, that does not want solar, and the community as a, as a, as a whole is for that, then yeah. Don't, don't do it. Um, but then you have an area that says we want a more dependent, dependable grid with lots of different sources of energy that's cleaner and, and may cost us more upfront, but it's gonna save us hundreds of millions of dollars over the next decades. Like that should be an option. You know, cities like Geneva should be able to say, hey, we're going to spend as a city collectively, 
you know, a hundred million dollars over the next 10 years in, in energy and infrastructure, um, let's, let's, let's invest that now, especially while interest rates are low in infrastructure that avoids that. And what's going to happen is you're going to avoid consistently when we invest in, in the way renewables are now, you can, if you invest $1 now, you save $2 over 10 to 15 years. So if we take a longer perspective, it's a, you do get a return on that money. So it, it's, uh, it's nothing that I'm going to solve. I'm a small cog in this, but uh, I, I do think that, uh, unfortunately, it's going to take a major mass outage for us all to kind of wake up politically and say the, the current infrastructure is not dependable. And unfortunately, I think that's coming. I hope it doesn't, but unfortunately, from what I've seen in the grid, that that one day that'll come. So, when you look at uh, Lake Tunnel, what what are sort of the next steps? What's going to be happening? Are folks moving in now? Or are they going to be moving in in the six to twelve month range? Or where do we sit there? So we'll have uh, people moving in next month, and uh, paving and landscaping all comes in the next thirty days. Um, we've got big equipment on site moving the dirt for phase two. Um, so we've got, uh, you know, nine homes and a multifamily building to build there. We're building uh, a little bit bigger three-story multifamily building um, near 5 and 20. That's going to be um, uh, vacation rentals and uh, private residents and, and kind of a, a village clubhouse. The um, And then... Uh, I would say probably within, um, I'd say the next 12 months, we should be pretty well wrapped up down there. Um, after that though, kind of getting back just a little bit of the previous discussion, um, we've got a battery initiative. So what we did is we wired all the homes so that they can work together during a grid outage with a centralized battery. So we've taken the batteries out of the homes um, in the design because um, uh, of just you know safety issues and cost issues and we're going to put them in one central location in the development and what that's called is a microgrid and the idea of microgrid is really one of the most powerful ones out there because um, if you go down the street here in Seneca Falls and you were had an instant look at their energy usage um, this time of day, hardly anyone's using any energy. Um, maybe a few air conditioners on here or there. And the idea is that uh, if all those homes had solar, they'd all be producing like crazy right now into a battery bank. And, uh, and then the evening when everyone comes home and everyone turns on their air conditioning, all that energy is coming from that battery bank. And when you can do that at a neighborhood scale, you don't have to put in as much solar. You don't have to put in as much battery because not everyone's using it all at the same time. And so you can save a lot of money and make it more economical. And now all of a sudden the whole development still has lights on when the grid's out, still has, you know, refrigeration, still has air conditioning. And, um, and I think that's really uh, the future of residential development. And when you look at the manufacturing side, what, uh, what can we expect to see there over the next 12 to 18 months? 
So on the manufacturing side, we're going to continue to optimize the facility we have. Um, we have a couple uh, big projects in the works that uh, we're not ready to announce yet. The moment one of those hits, um, we'll be announcing a major expansion. Um, and so we only build to the contract, so we don't build speculatively. So once we have um, you know, those contracts in place, then we'll expand our capacity. Um, we're hiring about a new person every month and, um, and we're adding about $300,000 to the tax rolls in Geneva every month. So we're setting about two homes a month, adding about 300000 and um, And that, to me, is, is the thing that uh, um, really feels good is if, you know, in, in two or three years from now, if we can be at anywhere between 50 and 100 employees, uh, multiple developments that we're feeding homes into, um, you know, I think we can really start to claim that we're, we're moving the moving the goalposts or and moving the chains, not the goalposts. Do you see a point where this is obviously the manufacturing is happening in Geneva or wherever, but that the the, the homes are able to be transported further away than just a, a short short radius, um, or is this something that you think eventually can be duplicated in a way where they are being manufactured fairly close to wherever they're going? So I, I think that the best model out there is, um, the more we get a feel for it, is like an hour, hour and a half transit radius. So f our factory would feed um, Rochester, Syracuse, um, you know, Ithaca, Elmira, that, that kind of radius. Um, the opportunity, though, is, is for it not to just be us doing this. Um, I think we're proving a model here that other... Uh, developers can follow and build their own facility. Our facility, compared to the cost of development, was not a big investment. Um, but it has huge impact in our ability to build. Um, I mean, some of those homes that you see down there were getting roofed and sited when it was sleeting outside last winter. And work that, uh, you know, it wouldn't even be possible in the winter. And, you know, our guys were inside warm and toasty and, and productivity was exactly the same. So I think that uh, that's a model that will get replicated because the economics are there. And finally, I, I have to ask you to, to just remind everybody who's listening one last time there is enough sunlight here in upstate New York <laughs> for a solar home or a solar village, yes? Yes, there is. Uh, you know, the, the, um, the thing you just have to remember is the time of year that you make that statement. It's easy to make that statement um, in January. It feels like there's no sun. And, uh, and uh, well, you go outside today, and it's not only sunny, but it's sunny until you know, 9.30, 10 o'clock, that's all energy. And uh, we produce enough energy over the course of the year to absolutely power a home with extra left over. And I'm talking heat, refrigeration, lighting, everything. And uh, furthermore, uh, it's more energy than you can produce um, in a, uh, that, that then the same home would produce um, in some places that you think of a lot sunnier. I mean, there's, 
if you go into uh, um, Miami, Florida, you'd get almost the same production, just a little bit more. And the reason is that there's so many storms that roll through during the summer months um, that it almost equals out. So, you know, if you would be okay with the sunlight in Miami, you're not taking that big of a hit, believe it or not, in the Finger Lakes because our days are so much longer in the summer. And um, and one last thing if I can throw in is, is um, you know, I'd really encourage people to uh, come on out. Um, we'll be doing an event in uh, in late August, a bigger open house, take people through them. Um, if you, you know, have any skepticism on kind of the quality of the homes, uh, the, even the style of the homes, I encourage you to come on out, you know. Even if you come out to the site on Fridays, uh, we give a lot of tours on Fridays. And it's, uh, I guarantee you'd be, you'd be amazed at, at, at the craftsmanship that, that our team uh, has put into these homes. Um, I used to say guys, but we're starting to get um, uh, some women in the trades. And I tell you what, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, we have a really diverse crew that's coming from different backgrounds, different mindsets. It produces a better product. And I'm really proud of our team. They've done a fantastic job. And a product that will no doubt continue to change. Uh, Ryan, thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. Remember, archived episodes are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and the FingerLakes1.com app. Consider leaving a review if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find the show and lets us know that you enjoy what we're doing here. You can also help by becoming a Patreon supporter. Visit www.patreon.com fl1 to sign up today. Have a great week, guys, and I will see you back here next Sunday.